trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being a part of our audience. Our growing audience, I hope. I'll tell you what, I I so appreciate everybody who shares a link or subscribes to the podcast or tells their friends, hey, check this guy out. He's, He's not as crazy as he looks or as crazy as he may sound at first blush. Either way, I'm glad you're here. Our show brought to you by Firesteel.com as well as the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. We have a lot to talk about today. And and I want to start on, I'm going to start on a little bit of a provocative note. I hope that's okay. I don't want to scare you away, but I want to share something with you that uh, I picked up on Twitter earlier this morning. It is a guy speaking to the Shasta County Council in California. This is in Shasta County, California. And what he has to say is uh, it is some of the boldest, it's some of the boldest speech I've heard from a citizen in a while. Having said that, I think he is saying what is on a lot of people's minds, and I think he is saying something that elected officials should probably be considering throughout the country. And that is, you have the cooperation of the populace for now, but if you continue to flex your authority and to lock us down and to deem some people preferred and other people's less preferred. And I'm talking primarily in terms of essential versus non-essential. If you mandate masks, if you mandate this and that, you're going to see your power taken away from you. And it's probably not going to be pretty. Now, some will say, oh my goodness, that's just revolutionary rhetoric. But I want you to hear what he has to say. As I recall, there's, uh, I don't think there's any bad language, but he speaks bluntly. Here's his message. Zapata, um, I wasn't going to speak. I was asked to speak here, you know, uh, Sheriff Garcia. Um, I'm telling you guys, you know, I'm, I'm pretty appalled at what's going on. You know, at first we sat as concerned citizens and we all wanted to figure out how to best navigate our way through this whole COVID thing, you know. And uh, as, as we realized that it's not quite as dangerous as we thought it'd be, you know, I was absolutely appalled and cowardice, you know. And as you're sitting there with your masks on, uh, I don't blame you for wearing masks because I'd be hiding my face too if I was you for what you're doing. It's absolutely horrendous what you're doing to these people. I'm a business owner, and, uh, and I'm telling you, our families are starving. You know, you guys can sit here with your jobs. You can sit here and you're going to get paid. You can fall asleep in your chair like that gentleman's doing behind his mask right there, okay? Uh, and I'm telling you right now that right now we're being peaceful, and, and you better be happy that we're, we're good citizens, that we're peaceful citizens. But it's not going to be peaceful much longer, okay? And this isn't a threat. I'm not a criminal. I've never been a criminal. But I'm telling you that good citizens are going to turn into real concerned and revolutionary citizens real soon. And nobody else is going to say that. I'm probably the only person that has a boss to say what I'm saying right now. That we're building, we're organizing, and we'll work with law enforcement or without law enforcement. But you won't stop us when time comes because our families are starving. And if you don't hear the seriousness of my voice, I hope you open your ears and you absolutely listen to what I'm saying. Because this is a warning for what's coming. It's not going to be peaceful much longer. It's not going to be raw rah It's not going to be speeches. It's not going to be gathering outside saying a pledge of allegiance. It's not going to be waving flags. It's going to be real. When you've seen the things that I've seen, I went to war for this country. I've seen the ugliest, dirtiest part of humanity. 
I've been in combat, and I never want to go back again. But I'm telling you what, I will to save this country. If it has to be against our own citizens, it will happen. And there's a million people like me, and you won't stop us. Open the county. Let our citizens do what they need to do. Let owners of businesses do what they need to do to feed their families. Take the masks off. Quit masking and muzzling your children. The psychological damage you're doing to them is horrible. I've had six friends kill themselves since it's happened. Veterans who lost their jobs. How do you feel about being complicit in perpetuating that? The greatest post ever perpetuated on the American people. And you're a part of it by wearing your masks. In Shasta County, we're supposed to be red country up here. Not blue country, we're red country up here. All right, so there's, there's his message. And, you know, I understand not everybody's going to agree with him. Some will think, well, he could have said it nicer or something. But I share this with you not to fan the flames of revolution or to uh, raise your blood pressure another notch or two. I share this because I think it is it is only fair that people understand this is how people are thinking. And I don't think this guy is far out of the mainstream. I don't think, oh, he's just some nutty right winger out there marching around with his gun making threats. He looks like a pretty average dude to me. And the fact that he's speaking about this, not from a standpoint, he's not dressed up in camo and he's not, you know, open carrying his gun to a meeting or something like that. He is speaking as a business owner. He's speaking as a father. He's speaking as a member of his community and telling people in positions of power, you are destroying the people that you serve. You're destroying them economically. You're destroying them psychologically. And there is coming a point, and it's probably closer than any of us wants to admit, that people are going to stand up and say, enough. We won't go one step further. Now, I know that's going to strike some people as radical, or at least, wow, that's really, you know, inflammatory rhetoric. Can I ask, what alternative do we have other than to give fair warning I'm going to say something that hopefully isn't misconstrued, but obedience to authority is not the virtue that we have been trained to think that it is. Too many people think, well, I'm a good person. I do what people in authority tell me. When they say jump, I ask how high. That doesn't make you a good person. That makes you the kind of person who would have helped the authorities round up Jews in Nazi Germany. It makes you the kind of person who would have informed on your neighbors in the Soviet Union. They were harboring anti-Soviet sentiment because that was the right thing to do, according to those authorities. I don't know what the answer is other than I think we all need to get our own uh, lives together, get our stuff wired tight, know where we stand with God, know where we stand as, as individuals, and be prepared to build whatever comes next, because I think what we have right now is not going to last. Maybe that's a good thing when you consider the reaction of so many of those people in power right now to just double down. They've got to flex a little bit harder, demand more of you, and tax you, make you pay for it. All right, let's open up the lines here, 801-331-8113. Caller, welcome to the show. Hello there. Hello. Yeah. Are you there? I'm right here. Can you hear me? All right. Sounds like we got a bad connection there. We'll we'll try again. 801-331-8113. I, I almost hate to lead off on the show with that t- today just because, you know, it's it's a departure from my normal, uh, you know, sunshine and lollipops approach to life. But I hear the 
I hear the sincerity in the guy's voice. I don't know if it's sincerity I'm hearing or just um, he's speaking the truth. And I pray that the leaders uh, there in Shasta County that he's speaking to hear that and realize they can't continue business as usual. Okay, back to the phone. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I think the guy is totally right on. I mean, I heard that yesterday. I was turned on to that and on a Twitter feed, and Twitter took it down, of course. And, uh, yeah, the man's totally right on. These people, that's fine. This is why politically correctness was instituted for the exact thing what you said. When government tells me to do something, I or how high or to jump, how high do I jump? Right. Yeah, we we you got to get you know people have to get registered to vote. They got to get engaged. They got to go to meetings. Like here, I have to go to a city council meeting here now in Duchesne County on September. Now they're trying to create this new wellness recreation wellness up there. They want to build basketball courts, recreation centers. Paddleboard courts out there all over the Duchesne County. Okay, so when you build that, now I got to hire employees. I got to pay their pension plan, their health care. I got to buy trucks for them. I got to buy a facility for them to park their trucks, have all their lawn maintenance equipment, have all their equipment that you're going to buy. We don't need it. Yeah, sounds, yeah, sounds like you don't see it as the favor that they're trying to get you to see it as. Hey, we're doing you a favor charging you for all this. No, what they should be doing is working on infrastructure, putting water lines in. Start focusing on that. Getting water lines in all over out there. Focus on one thing, water lines and power. Spread it out throughout the whole thing. You get that done, then we'll talk. Okay, fair enough. Rob, but, good to hear from you. we got to break away here for just a few moments. 801-331-8113. Look, I am not saying that anger is the the sole thing you should bring to the table. In fact, when we come back, I want to share with you a commentary from Brian Kaplan. It's titled, You Will Not Stampede Me. You know, I, I talk about how we revel in wrong think. There is a way to revel in wrong think that doesn't involve grabbing pitchforks and torches. Although I wouldn't rule out that option as a last resort, but... First and foremost, you've got to understand that... Uh, People are trying to stampede you. People are trying to frighten you into giving you control over your life, giving them control over your life. Don't do it. We'll be back after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113 is the number. Let's go to Lisa standing by in West Palm Beach, Florida. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I'd just like to say thank you for playing that video. I forwarded out yesterday to almost everybody I could. Unfortunately, when I did, Twitter cut it off. And and we can only go to the article of Gateway Pundits that, that could pull it up. And what I see in that man is a hardworking American who just wants to work, earn, and live happy and pay the government officials that he pays to represent him. I didn't see – what I heard in his voice was disgust. Like, he even had to be there to do that, you know, and 
I wish, I hope all Americans know how hard it is to own a small business and how much you have to go through to, to, to go through and earn and bring home a living for your family. So please. Thank you so much for airing that video. I appreciate it. Okay, Lisa, thank you so much for your call. I want to contrast what he was saying, because I know there, uh, even on Twitter, I, that's where I saw it too, and there, I'm still finding a few places where you can access it, but um, it's, it's enough truth. I don't blame Twitter if their job is to control the narrative to try to, you know, keep it under wraps. But com- contrast what this guy was saying and doing to the people who were out there, oh, I don't know, smashing windows and throwing firebombs into the uh, Multnomah County Justice Center in Portland. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you, those, those people are acting like real honest-to-goodness revolutionaries. They are destroying, they're beating people in the streets, kicking people's heads in if they, if they think they don't agree with them or they don't show them the proper respect on the street. Violent, nasty people. And what do these elected officials do in many of these cities? They tell their police, stand down. Don't interfere with them. Let them express their rage or whatever the excuse is. They don't try to protect private property, whether it be businesses, whether it be residences. They just let them have free reign. So to sit there and call this guy who is talking to his county council and telling them, you've got to quit screwing with us and you've got to quit, you know, taking away our livelihood. To call him a radical or to portray him as, well, he's, he's out of line for what he's doing. Man, if, if, if a person can't see the difference between the revolutionaries running rampant in some of the bigger cities of this nation versus that man standing up in front of a relatively small county body politic and saying, you guys have got to get your foot off the back of our necks. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to help you. Back to the phone, 801-331-8113. Caller, welcome to the show. I believe Elvis has left the building. Okay, we'll try again. 801-331-8113. Let me jump over here to Brian Kaplan's article, You Will Not Stampede Me. I think this is really sound advice. And I say this from the standpoint of, you know, when I want to encourage people to become a wrong thinker, this is the kind of wrong think that I'm talking about. It's the kind that's not just, you know, being contrary for the sake of being contrary. And it's not the idea that I know better than everybody else. It's this willingness to dig deeper, to question the conventional wisdom and the herd mentality that other people won't. So as far as you will not stampede me, here's what Brian Kaplan says. He says, during the last 20 years, I've lived through a series of public crises. 9-11, the Iraq War, the Great Recession, the Syrian refugee crisis, ISIS, systemic sexism, hashtag me too, systemic racism, and of course, COVID-19. And he says, in each case, society's demands have been the same. First, hysteria. We're all supposed to embrace fear and anger as the leap motives of our life. Second, hurting. As in H-E-R-D-I-N-G, we're all supposed to not merely refrain from criticizing the popular view, but to fervently join the chorus calling for action. And he says, in each case, I have spurned the demands of society. I refuse to get hysterical. I refuse to herd. For any specific crisis, I downplay. He says, strangers usually assume a left or right wing motive. Against the war on terror? Ha! Leftist. Against me too? Ha! Rightist. Now, he says, those who know a bit about me suspect libertarian wishful thinking. I pretend the world is fine in order to deny the need for decisive government action. 
In that case, though, he says, shouldn't I grant the severity of the problems and then blame the government? He says, the better story is that I'm a contrarian. If most people are incensed about something, I go out of my way to be blasé. And he says, to quote the misanthrope, what other people think, he can't abide. Whatever they say, he's on the other side. He lives in deadly terror of agreeing to would make him an, seem an ordinary being. Indeed, he's so in love with contradiction, he'll turn against his most profound conviction and with a furious eloquence deplore it, if only someone else is speaking for it. Now, Brian Kaplan says, though I love to read these immortal lines aloud, he says, I deny that they describe me. My position, rather, is that society is consistently wrong. Now, the, though the details vary, he says there are two crucial constants. First, hysteria is absurd. Second, hurting is reckless. So, he says, let me, uh, let me elaborate. To paraphrase the world's best graduation speech, trying to figure out what's going on, or <clears throat> trying to figure out what's going on while high on negative emotions is if, as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. Of course, if you're the sole person hysterical about your cause, you'll probably do no harm. But when lots of people are hysterical in the same way, they generally wreck havoc. He says, and that's right, I stayed calm on 9-11. When Americans started calling for blood on 9-12, I saw horrible writing on the wall, though not as horrible as the writing turned out. Without the Iraq war, we probably wouldn't have had the Syrian civil war, ISIS, the refugee crisis, Brexit, or Trump. Now, aren't these public crises I named extremely heterogeneous? Yeah, he says, sure, in some ways. The Great Recession directly caused massive global harm. Almost all of the damage of the war on terror, in contrast, was indirect. The product of a massive overreaction to a statistic, stati uh, statistically tiny evil. Nevertheless, these diverse public crises also share crucial similarities. Most notably, almost no one carefully measures the severity of these crises until the crisis is practically over. Instead, what drives perceptions is availability bias. Well-publicized, emotionally gripping anecdotes. The correlation between these anecdotes and the actual size of the problems is low at best. Secondly, almost no one seriously asks what, if anything, would be a well-tailored response to this crisis. Instead, societies embrace action bias, rushing to do something, flailing about wildly, and then gradually lose interest until the next crisis. Perhaps we're already doing enough about terrorism. Will invading Iraq make things worse? Maybe we shouldn't collectively punish refugees or males or whites because a few bad apples do awful, dramatic things. If coronavirus is ten times worse than flu, perhaps we should make ten times as much effort to combat it, not a thousand times. All reasonable questions, yet impotent in a crisis. He says, if I were in charge, would I have done so much better? Well, he says, though I'm well aware of my own self-serving bias, I believe I would have done much better. I, would have, I wouldn't have fought the war on terror, not even in Afghanistan. I would have met the re Great Recession with nominal GDP targeting and labor market deregulation, not bailouts and fiscal stimulus. I would have welcomed refugees from the Middle East. I would have enforced existing laws against rape and murder, not, starting, not started witch hunts for systemic sexism or systemic racism. And I would have met coronavirus with moderate caution, not shutdowns or putting 10% of the workforce on welfare. Now, Brian Kaplan says, yes, perhaps I'm mistaken about one or two of these crises. What's clear, though, is that society's method of certifying and addressing crises is deeply defective, and that's unlikely to change. 
Well, I've got to, he says, well, I've got to live with that. I get a small sense of comfort from staying aloof from the madness, staying aloof and quietly thinking you will not stampede me. I think that's a fine motto. Now, I'm still going to stick with revel in wrong think, but I think that could be a part of it. Don't make yourself a playable piece on their chessboard. Don't allow yourself to be stampeded. It doesn't mean you have to automatically disagree with everything you hear, but it does mean you should be willing to question it. Ask questions like, who benefits from this? Why would they want me to think of it in those terms? Or why are they trying to make me feel scared or angry? We'll be back after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's open up the phones again, 801-331-8113. By the way, I've got another great commentary from Eric Peters I'll be sharing in a few moments. He nails it, too. We are living history right now. The uh, The upside is, wow, what stories we'll have to tell our grandkids. The uh, downside is living history uh, can be a little bit dramatic. Some of you already knew that, but uh, some of us are learning it for the first time. Back to the phone. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you taking my call. And, um, you know, I, first, I might say a couple radical things here, but I, I want to make sure before I say them, that I believe in ballots, not bullets. Okay, that's very important. I, I believe in ballots, not bullets. Um, uh, but now I was shocked watching the Democratic um, convention, you know, nominee thing. I was shocked that one of them started out with the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, I heard. I and a, didn't they have a prayer too? They had a prayer. You Unthinkable. Know, now, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wonder, I wonder what happened. And they're the ones that took the Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools. Now, for them to sit there and, and be hypocrites, lie to us. You know, I mean, in, 19, in 1962, they took the prayer, the Bible, you know, the um, Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools. You know, they kicked God out of this country. And I'm, I'm shocked. They're given the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, I was shocked. And, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, all of those, you know, who have taken an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, you, you know, maybe that's why a lot of them, unfortunately, are so confused when they get back into civilian life and they see that it's been taken over by socialism. And, and they're, they're, you know, experiencing um, cognitive, um, um, oh, I forgot what that's cognitive called. Cognitive dissonance? Uh, there we go, dissonance, yes. You know, and Try, trying to hold two that, thoughts that are contradictory at the same time. Thank you. Yeah, yes. it's... And, and so, you know, when I first got leukemia... I, re- I finally realized that the, when I die, the only thing I could take with me is my character and my relationships. You know, and I've been watching the Democratic Convention, and, you know, the majority of them, they are 
knowingly lying. They are misrepresenting themselves. The, the radicals, you know, socialists, have taken over the, the leadership of the Democratic Party, and they're presenting themselves as moderates. But you're not surprised, lie. are you? I mean, that's what politicians do. They, they yeah. lie. They would rather lie to you than break wind in public. That's, that's what their character consists of. It's more important that, uh, oh, I've got I've to maintain this facade of I'm competent or I'm, I'm this or I'm that. So th- they would tell you a lie right to your face rather than risk being seen as human or fallible. Well, see, it, it's all a bit about emotion, emotion, emotion. And, and I think this is why people don't like President Trump, because he's not about emotion and he's not about lying. He, he, what you see is what you get. And I guess people want to be lied to. You, you know, they, they don't see that, that President Trump really is trying to make America great. Well, the Democrat leadership, they're just about plundering the, this country. You know, and, and this is the hard line right here. Okay, so, you know, it's about character, 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 responsibility. And people don't learn responsibility until they really have a job. And, and they're supporting themselves. And then this is the key here, that being able to see the consequences of choices, you know, to see the course of action the country is heading. And we are not in self-government, you know, self-control, balance of power, you know, liberty and justice for all. We are not in that. We are deep into socialism, heading that way very, very fast. Well, here's, and again, here's a thought, though. I don't think we're going to get it back by voting. And I say that only because the system is very, very good at protecting itself. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote. I think we should try to have good people um, in, in government positions where we have that ability to use our influence to make that happen. Good, wise, and honest, I think, were the three characteristics that Ezra Taft Benson said we should, should look for in every single candidate. But, uh, Ray, I think it's going to fall on your shoulders and my shoulders to uh, to make up the difference and in and in as many ways as possible to make government obsolete or at least unnecessary in solving a lot of those problems thank you for your call by the way um uh, by the way i'm not watching the democratic debate i and it's not i've sworn off i will not watch anything i just really haven't had time but I know people who are watching it, and actually tomorrow on the program, I'm going to be visiting with James R. Harrigan, who is a co-host of the Words and Numbers podcast. I know he's been watching it because he's been tweeting about it, and I think his insights, we're going to talk about this tomorrow, I think he has some really good insights. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't know if James is Democrat or Republican. I, I get the perception he's pretty independent. But he's definitely paying attention, and based on the humor and, and some of the, uh, he, he has some pretty sharp comments about uh, what, what's being done at these debates. Um, in fact, he coined a phrase that I, I, hope he, I hope he trademarks, and that is uh, when, when Joe Biden has one of those moments where he just kind of fades out and you know, goes off into, into uh, you know, the ether, that's a jolment. Ladies and gentlemen, we're having a jolment here. It's that, that awkward silence when when. Joe Biden has finished a statement and now we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we salvage this? You know, for either the interviewer, the moderator or whatever. So James Harrigan joining me tomorrow. Um, I think you will really appreciate his insights. I'm looking forward to picking his brain over it because I'm probably not going to find time to watch anything from the Democratic uh, Convention tonight as well.
It's not that I would tell you not to. I just I have other things that I would like to work on. I want to get to this article here from Eric Peters, Living History. Now, if you've heard Eric on this show, you know he is a straight shooter. So when he says we are living history now, the history of early Soviet Russia and the other place, of course. People cowed by fear, just trying to keep their heads down and not get into trouble, hoping it'll pass, that it will not get worse. They just want to be able to work and get food, whatever the cost, not always measured in money. This comes of dependence and acquiescence, both of which have been increasing markedly over the past 50 years. Eric says many examples of this, but among the most relevant are the bowing of businesses and the people to this idea that one should need a license, in other words, government permission to be in business which permission can be revoked at any time and the mere threat of which is sufficient to get most businesses to do as ordered by the government. Now he states the obvious here. This is outrageous. If you think that a free country is a good idea at any rate, having to get permission from the government to engage in the free exchange of goods and services. Don Corleone, phone home. Where is the crime in doing that without permission? And I'm going to pause here for just a moment and ask you, because I know there are a lot of very good people within earshot who nonetheless subscribe to the idea that, well, yeah, well, if your business isn't licensed or you're doing this without the state's permission in the form of a license, that somehow that should be treated like a crime. Where is the crime? Who is the victim? Well, someone might take it. Well, someone might take advantage and if you can show that they have taken advantage and harmed another person, then you have a victim. But you know what? We have laws that can allow that victim to seek justice and to be made whole. You don't have to presume that every person who wants to engage in a particular line of work is going to victimize every person with whom they transact business. And as Eric Peters points out, it is yet it is a crime in the sense that government will seek sick itself on anyone who dares to offer goods or services to people who freely wish to purchase them without its permission. Which accounts for the base, embarrassing servility of businesses which grovel at the feet of government in the manner of Stalin's chicken. Also the effrontery of some of their customers who know they can force themselves upon a business not to their liking by sicking the government upon it. Now... Diapering, that's uh, Eric's word for face masking, is the obvious case in point, but there are many others and antecedent to diapering, which is merely the latest and saddest example of business servility. For example, the forcing of a small walk-up hot dog joint to provide equal accommodations to those who cannot walk up. The hot dog stand hasn't got anything against the handicap. The problem is that the cost of installing a ramp and other, quote, accommodations far exceeds the money the place will earn by selling a few hot dogs to a few people in wheelchairs. This isn't evil, it's economics. It's the same economics that act upon what everyone else spends their money on. But businesses are forced by government to spend their money on things which they know don't make economic sense because a busybody can sick the government on them. We're going to come back to this in just a few moments. I don't know if you have thoughts on it, but if you do, I'd love to hear from you. 801-331-8113. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just finishing up this article from Eric Peters on living history. I just love that he doesn't pull his punches here. And when he talks about how, you know, you should be outraged that a business has to go to the government to get a license in order to do business, to, to freely exchange goods and services with people who voluntarily come through their door and aren't marched in there at bayonet point. But businesses are forced by government to spend money on things which they know don't make any economic sense because there are busybodies afoot. And the busybody can sick government on those businesses for many reasons, none of them having to do with the voluntary exchange of goods and services. Rather, the coercion of services, like bullying a bakery owner to bake a cake for in-your-face, deliberately provocative individuals. He says it wasn't much of a jump from that to coercing diapering, given the the totalitarian tag team of businesses needing government permission to be in business and the empowering thereby of noxious minor totalitarians who can sick the government on businesses. Like the proverbial spoonful of poo ruining a gallon of ice cream, all it takes is one diaper-affronted busybody to call the government, and the government threatens the business with the revocation of its permission to be in business. He says that's why diapering spreads. Fear of the loss of one's business and livelihood brings many to heal, even if they aren't themselves fearful of the virus. And this includes many who work at a business, which have become, in effect, adjuncts of the government as well as the uh, slaves of busybodies empowered by the government, which makes everyone who works for business, especially the smaller ones, which are the vulnerable of which are vulnerable to the threat of government and the busybodies, beholden to both. He says this trap has caught probably 80, maybe as high as 90 percent of the population in its maw. That's probably why in so many areas, 90% of the people you see are wearing those face masks. Their Sophie's choice is to do so or lose their job. He says, I personally know several people caught in this trap. I've spoken with people who are caught in this trap. For example, the clerk at the shoe store where he bought his last pair of running shoes the other day. The people who work there, all of them runners as the store caters to active people. They loathe those face masks. They know it's kabuki, but they wear them and insist on them because the store's policy requires them, which it does because of the threat of revocation of the government's permission to be in business and the threat of even a single busybody leveraging government to do his or her business. And so people keep their heads down, their face diapers on, because economic pressure can be even more effective than physical pressure. Let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Caller, thanks for your patience. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Brian? Yeah. Yeah, a really good analysis there. That's where a libertarian principle does come in. Uh, Ron Paul has been saying that, as you know, for decades. Um, I will uh, want to talk, though, about, like I usually do, the driving force. Just like uh, when you uh, hosted the people there trying to bring the uh, truth out about what happened to LaVoy Finnegan. Uh You did a, a stand-up job there. I still remember it, Brian. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is there are people behind... This attempted economic takedown, I'm sure you've heard of their great reset going on in America. So the American burqa, uh, this is would be part of the beta test to see what kind of compliance they can get the American people to do through all the pre- procedures that you just outlined there. You know, it's not like uh, they all woke up one day and decided to wear a mask to please Herbert or whoever. 
Uh, they are doing it because of, like you say, the economic uh, uh, pressure from here, from there. But let's look at the top. You know when a non-medical man, like the Minneapolis head of the chairman uh, of the Federal Reserve, called for a second lockdown, started pressuring Governor Abbott in Texas to do that, and Santos in Florida, and uh, what have you. There is an operation underway. Uh, how could COVID have anything to do with the so-called coin shortage, Brian? There isn't. This is a moment in history, like you've been saying all show here. But we have to look at the driving force. It's not happening in a vacuum. It's happening by a plan, and they're trying to work that plan as best they can. But it could also mean the end of the republic as we know it. Uh, when you look at uh, the, uh, the school closures, oh, schools maybe should have been revamped years ago. Uh, but this, you can't do that under crisis. Uh, I'm all for homeschooling. The people of Spanish Fork have been, uh, the Hopkins down there have been pushing it for years. Uh, and uh, what have you, Brian. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, we cannot let them take over this country in that regard. And, and the burqa is an outward symbol of it. The American burqa uh, uh, is what's going on here. And, and when you look at the takedown and bringing to heel all the businesses, could this be on behalf of the international bankers? They all sure seem to be for it. And they're front men, stooges. Uh, right now we have Donald Trump that seems to be standing up with them, uh, not Mike Pence. Mike Pence brought this task force into existence. Right now, uh, uh, Scott uh, uh, Atlas may be the replacement someday uh, for a Fauci. Uh, Brian, things are so bad. Fauci and Burks, there are there's an army of doctors right now, an army of uh, legal people that have enough goods on those two to put them away for the rest of their feeble lives. This is what needs to be happening, a full-on exposure. And Donald Trump tried that with America's front line when he brought them forward there or, or on Twitter and got it out there before he was deplatformed. So there are operations, but the American people need to see that's what's going on. I thank you very much for your take. Thank you. Have a great one. 801-331-8113. Look, I, I, have my, I shared this, um, this post from a friend of mine the other day about uh, getting prepared. And she posted something. In fact, I'm going to go back to this because I just I want to... I want to share her latest post because it kind of reiterates the same sort of thing here. And it's not fear mongering. It's not the idea that, uh, well, you know, all is lost. It's it's just about you and I, if we even if we don't have control over monetary policy or over politicians at this point, we should have a plan. And this is what my friend Jesse said. She said, what's your plan? If something should go wrong in your life, your community or your country. What will you do? If your area becomes unsafe, where will you go? Have you made arrangements for people to help you? How will you leave? When will you leave? How will you decide when to leave? Can you take your food? How much space will you need to haul it? If you have to take two cars, how will the drivers communicate? If everyone else is trying to leave too, how will you obtain enough gas? Do you have adequate clothes for the place you're going? Do you have an agreement with the people where you're going to look out for or care for you? If you're rural, how many people are planning to find safety with you? Has it been discussed? What expectations are there? Do you have enough in case they can't bring food with them? What assumptions have been made but not tested like, I'll just grow a garden, I have seeds? Who will care for your family if parents are detained or die or can't do it for themselves for any reason? What's plan B? Now, look, I understand if that makes people uncomfortable to even think in those terms. 
But uh, Jesse is married to uh, one of my most trusted friends and somebody who I think has his head on about as straight as anybody I know. And together, I'm sure they are a dynamic duo of can-do people. And if she is asking these kinds of questions, I promise you it's because they've had discussions and they've, they've thought about this and there is wisdom in you and I asking and, and, and gaming out those same kinds of questions for ourselves. Who are the most trusted friends you have within 100 miles of where you are right now? And do you have trusted friends with every, within every you know, direction of the compass? I guess what I'm getting at here is there's a lot of stuff that's in a state of flux right now. There's a lot that's in commotion. And things that we thought were pretty firm, like the ground beneath our feet, turns out they can change, and sometimes quickly. Maybe it's time to start having those conversations. I would start with family members first and then move out to trusted friends. I would start talking to my neighbors, especially those that I have known for a while, and start finding out who is willing to work with one another. Teamwork is going to carry the day. I can tell you that. Everybody who thinks, I'm going to lone wolf my McQuaid my way through the next crisis is kidding themselves. But the time to have these conversations is now, while there's still relative peace and calm, while there's still relative availability of the resources and things you would want to have in place if some kind of long-term shift were to happen. And I know it makes me sound nuttier than, you know, squirrel poop to sit here and tell you this, but I think it needs to be said. And I encourage you to find the humility to have those conversations. As my friend Jesse suggested the other day, this might be a good time to take a knee. Ask the creator of the universe, what would he have you do? You can trust God to give you direction to give you inspiration as to what might be the next best step. Sorry, I was really hoping to end on a sunshiny note, but I will tell you, I think we can handle what's ahead of us. I believe we can, but we need to stop waiting to see what's going to happen and start preparing just in case. This is The Brian Hyde Show.